On this episode of Cinema Smorgasbord Presents, we do our own stunts. Jackie Chan makes his directorial debut with his first real film since Drunken Master. Though still under the thumb of Low Way, it's 1979's The Fearless Hyena. Welcome to We Do Our Own Stunts, a chronological look at the life and work of martial arts superstar Jackie Chan. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the world's deadliest man, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty good. Uh, I, I don't think I'm the deadliest. I'm probably only top five. Oh, yeah? Well, could you re- list the the rest? Actually, we don't have a lot of time, so only list the top three that, uh, that are not you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um... The guy in the video who says "bang it a bang it a bang it of your head <laughs> off of the side of the thing that guy's pretty deadly. <laughs> I couldn't even remember his fucking name. Anyone else, Liam? No, that's all I got. Jet Li, Li- he seems deadly. I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't know. He's looking a little. He's looking a little worse for wear. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's an older gentleman at this point. He's certainly uh, allowed to. I haven't seen Jet Li in quite a while, actually. Now that I think about it. Yeah, you know that's true. I wonder if he's not doing movies anymore. I, mm. I, it, this feels vaguely relevant to our current podcast, so I'm okay to talk about it. Yeah, what's going on with him? What happened? I, I feel like he was in a lot of things for a while there. Maybe he's all fucked up. That's what I. I mean, I've mentioned several times, I think, in the past that uh, I had a friend who attended an interview. Or like a little discussion with Donnie Yen, and he just talks about how his body is so fucked up that he can, he's in pain all the time. And you can imagine, you know, Jet Li probably has another decade on him. He's probably all messed up. Did I tell you that um, my friend Brian is related to Donnie Yen? How is he related? Uh, cousins or something. But he let's get him on the podcast. He kept he kept telling me this that his his cousin was like uh, an actor, but he never said who he was. And then <laughs> and then when he finally revealed it, he just thought like, well, I didn't think you'd know who he was. And I was like, stop it. Of course, it's Donnie Yen. Of course I know. But it, it's like, it's one of those no, things. Wait, wait, wait a second. He thought you wouldn't know who Donnie Yen was? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, this was, this was um, just before uh, the first It Man came out. So he was a oh, little okay. bit less, less known. But no, I still he wasn't knew... in that Star Wars movie yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but still, I, he was known a little bit. It was just, it's just my friend Brian's way of being like, yeah, you're not Chinese, so you don't know nothing. <laughs> you know, like that's sort of his, That's whenever he takes you to a restaurant, it's really, it's not just he's going to order off the menu, but it's in a way that lets you know he thinks that you, as a not Chinese person, don't know nothing. So he's going to teach you all this stuff. And it's it's always to make sure that you feel a little bit bad. That's sort of his vibe. Well, anyway, if, since he has all these connections in the martial arts world, we'll, uh, we'll get him to start booking us some guests. I mean, he has a cousin who I don't even know if he's ever met <laughs> in real life. He just knows they're related. <laughs> Liam, this is the last episode of We Do Our Own Stunts of the year 2022, and I thought it would be a good idea, uh, even though I know that you haven't looked at the outline, uh, to talk a little bit about the movies that we're going to be covering uh, on the upcoming episodes of We Do Our Own sure, Stunts, yeah. so people can prepare for it, especially because Jackie Chan's filmography is a little funny. We've already been yeah. you know, discussing a lot of movies that were like made before movies, that came out after. That's still something we're going to have to deal with a little bit going forward. But also, I wanted to entice you a little bit, Liam, because I don't want your enthusiasm waning as we go through these films. You always say that, and my enthusiasm has not yet waned. But I will say that this is helpful, too, because we have a whole lineup of people who've demanded to come on the show Mm -hmm. only for specific movies. So this will give them an idea of how long they have to wait. 
Because I'm really excited to talk about the movie that we're going to be talking about today, The Fearless Hyena. But it does kind of make for a high watermark for this particular period of Jackie Chan's career. Uh, his work with Lo Wei is coming to an end after this, though this is not the last Lo Wei film that we're going to be covering. So on the next episode, we're going to be talking about Dragon Fist from 1979, which is a movie like Spiritual Kung Fu, which we already covered, that was filmed in 1978 was unfinished and then was ended up being finished after the success of Snake and the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master. Then we could cover the movie Dance of Death, which has Jackie as a stunt coordinator and action director, but he isn't in it. And then also the movie Immortal Warriors, where he was, again, uh, action director and stunt coordinator. But we're only covering movies that Jackie actually appears in. After that, they released Master with Cracked Fingers, which we actually covered in our very first episode, since it's just a re-edited version of Jackie's first movie, Little Tiger of Canton. Then there's a cameo that he made in a movie called Fists and Guts from 1979. I did a little research on this. He does appear in it in a single scene. Uh, I don't think we need to devote an entire episode to it, but we might actually just take a look at the scene and maybe talk about that just a little bit. So really, after Dragon Fist, which is our next episode after this one, we're then going to cover The Young Master from 1980, and then we're going right into The American Excursion, Liam, and I know you've been excited about this. We're going to be covering the big brawl, then right into Cannonball Run. What do you think? Can I get a sub for those episodes? <laughs> I mean, actually, I've never seen the big brawl, so maybe I'll find something fun about it. But, oh, yeah. But people who love Cannonball Run have a certain kind of brainworm that I don't understand. Like, I, I've i never loved – I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't hate it. Like, there are a number of movies that – I mean, I hate that this is a fucking genre of the sure. 70s and 80s, the wacky uh, uh, car race movie. Although I do respect that it's apparently based off of a real thing that happened, which is actually psychotic and shows what's wrong with this country. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, the, the the idea that this is a whole genre, this is one of the better versions of that genre. It's actually mm -hmm. probably one of the high watermarks of it. And I still don't understand people's affection for it. It's not a torture movie, but I don't have fun with it the way other people seem to where they're they're just like it's so much fun i love it i'm like oh it's so corny i don't i don't get it i just don't. I, I think you know i sometimes take issue with your use of the word corny to describe things but no absolutely the cannonball run is a very corny movie though i haven't seen it in a very long time i am actually curious about revisiting it i mean it's certainly because of all the familiar famous faces within it i think that'll give us a lot of uh, material to discuss but also i'm just curious and of course we also know that the um, Jackie Chan, what would become one of his trademarks of having outtakes in the credits of the movie, that comes from his experience on Cannonball Run. So, you know, it's an important part of his career. This entire American excursion is going to be kind of interesting to talk about. Of course, one of the other things that we're going to be talking about very soon uh, on this podcast is how Jackie Chan broke away from Lo Wei and joined Golden Harvest instead. Uh, and we'll probably touch on that a little bit because it plays into Fearless Hyena 2, which uh, I believe, uh, am I right in, in saying that you haven't seen Fearless Hyena 2, Liam? No, I have not. I didn't know there was a sequel. Well, all the more uh, reason to to discuss it and talk about how interesting it is. By the way, Liam, had you ever seen Fearless Hyena 1? I can't remember if we went over that before. No, I had not seen it. I falsely, I think on the last episode, I think I falsely said I had never even heard of it. Right. Uh, when we started watching it, that's not true. I think I saw a trailer for it somewhere because it all felt very like 
uh, visually familiar, even though the plot wasn't. And <clears throat> we'll get into this later, but there's some associations with things that were inspired by this movie, and I didn't see those connections at all. But it still felt a little familiar, and I, I think I've seen a trailer for this. So it, it wasn't totally unknown to me, but I had not seen it before. In fact, other than Snake and Eagle Shadow... I don't think I've seen a lot of these early Jackie Chan movies. This has all been exploratory for me and will continue to be until we reach the dreaded Cannonball Run. <laughs> so uh, we discussed on the most recent episode uh, a video essay by the YouTube channel Accented Cinema, uh, which, is all, which is all about Jackie Chan and some of his you know issues and, and his reputation and things like that. Uh, since that episode we recorded, there's actually been two more Jackie Chan-themed videos released by Accented Cinema, both of them about Jackie Chan's recent bad movies. Now, I have not watched either of these videos at this point. I, I worried that it might uh, <laughs> ruin my enthusiasm for the later part of Jackie Chan's career. But I think we're both kind of aware that Jackie Chan has been making a series of movies that has not exactly been uh, getting wide critical acclaim. Well, I think he is understandably trying to pivot away from the Jackie Chan that we all know and love. And, of course. And, and this very channel was the one that helped us understand that in some of the high points of his career, he still wasn't quite uh, living into the most exaggerated claims of his performance in that the idea that he does every single stunt himself is not really real. He does a lot of his own things, but right. he often needs stand-ins. And I think as time went on, he probably needed more and more stand-ins such that um, he probably, I, my guess is at some point he stopped saying, I do all my own stunts, because he knew how far that was from real. But people still know him as that kind of performer. Right. So I wonder to what extent now, as he's got to be, you know, not trying to jump off of buildings and stuff, he's trying to pivot to other genres even, or at least other styles of movie. That can't be easy, you know? And so inevitably, you're going to make mistakes and do things that don't work. My worry is that I don't know that any of them have worked. I have not seen a newer Jackie Chan movie yet that I thought, oh, this is good. Like, this goes the direction he should go. So, uh, you know, that's that's sad. And I hope that uh, I'm wrong and that when we get to that part of his career, you know, assuming we, we don't die first, that, uh, that we'll find some gems in there. Because my worry is that it's been all downhill since he stopped doing the kind of things that he's most known for. And I don't think that would be fair to a man who, you know, has his problems, as we've discussed, but right. also did a lot of great performances. I want to think that he still can do something, you know? It's difficult when you market someone specifically on their physical prowess, right? And then right. when they get older and that doesn't exist. I mean, he was able to transcend that in things like Rush Hour, where he was a little bit older already. And, you know, the action in that is not up to par with his classic martial arts movies, but he became an actual marketable star in Western movies. And that continued, I mean, even in more recent stuff like The Karate Kid and The Forbidden Kingdom and things like that. I mean, he could still pull off movies that, even though they're still kind of martial arts based at their core, that are more personality focused. But I mean, in terms of his Chinese films, I have not watched any of those over the past probably decade or so. And uh, I haven't, <laughs> from the response to them, it hasn't given me strong reason to either. But it's worth noting that his slowing down and doing less physical stuff, the less physical stuff he's doing are the sorts of things Hollywood actors have to train for nine months to do. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's doing less on the scale of Jackie Chan, but he was still doing in a lot of these movies some amount of martial arts, which like can't be easy at a certain point. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm willing to accept that the man is made of magic, but everyone gets too old, right? Even in the movies, in, in the fictional movies, you know, there's the, the master gets too old to do everything. You know, you, you can't be doing things forever. So, um, it, you know, this, this, I, I just really think he's been trying to maybe be more, at least a couple of things I've seen trailers for, he's trying to be more dramatic maybe. Maybe he feels like uh, even his humor works at a slapstick level and so physically he can't do it. I don't know. But a lot of the trailers I've seen that he's been in, they feel more serious and I don't know if that's the right direction for him per se. <laughs> it did seem like a direction that he wanted to go in though is to try to do more serious cinema. And I mean, I you know, I, I understand why he'd want to branch out a little bit. It's just not the Jackie Chan that we think of here in the West when we think of his performances, um, which is a little interesting to say when we talk about this movie that we're going to discuss today, which is very emotional. It's all about emotional kung fu, Liam. Uh, as usual, I just want to go through some of the write-ups uh, that Jackie Chan and others have done about The Fearless Hyena in particular. As usual, uh, his most recent biography, Never Grow Up, has very little detail outside of just saying that the Fearless Hyena was part of three successful films that he made in a row, Snake in the Eagle's Shadow, Drunken Master, and The Fearless Hyena. This might surprise you, Liam, at least as is reported in this, these, this writing here. The Fearless Hyena was actually the most financially successful of all of those movies. It was a bigger hit than Drunken Master. Um, and, you know, for Lo Wei, he must have been absolutely overjoyed. Um, and so, you know, it was part of the reason why... He was given the freedom to make The Fearless Hyena, was a success of Snake and the Eagle Shadow and Drunken Master, and that is why, for those who have seen The Fearless Hyena after seeing those other two movies, there's a lot of familiar elements to it. It did feel like that he's kind of following the same formula, and why not, right, if, if the formula still seems to be working, if not improving. So in terms of his book, um, I Am Jackie Chan, again, we always have to mention, notoriously kind of co-written or ghost-written by others, uh, this is what he had to say. So I made my directorial debut, Fearless Hyena. I was working with a smaller budget than in my seasonal films, but I also had the benefit of knowing more or less what I wanted. As usual, I played a young man who underwent unusual training to learn an obscure martial arts style, in this case, emotional kung fu, to defeat the villain, played by Yen Shi Quan. I learned how to get in touch with my feelings, attacking him with joy, anger, and even tears. I still had much to learn about filmmaking in a lot of ways. Hyena is a more uneven movie than Drunken Master, so that doesn't seem to matter to the audience who mobbed the theaters when it came out. Fearless Hyena was my biggest hit to date, not to mention Lowe's first blockbuster ever since his Bruce Lee days. More and more, he referred to me as the son he never had as his pride and joy. He even bought me a sports car to celebrate Hyena's box office success, though I noticed he still paid me only 6,000 Hong Kong dollars in salary. Double what you used to make, he said, proud of his generosity. I guess he felt that since the contract required him to pay me only 3,000 Hong Kong dollars, anything he gave me on top of that was an act of amazing benevolence. And every chance he got, he dropped hints about the future, about the big new contract that he expected to sign with me, tying together low-way productions and Jackie Chan for decades to come. And that will, of course, become a very big sticking point going forward and actually will uh, influence the sequel to this very movie. Uh, there isn't a lot uh, kind of notable uh, mentioned in the book Jackie Chan Inside the Dragon by Clyde Gentry III, but... It did mention the fact that, and this is something you may have noticed when we started the movie, Liam, is that this is not a movie released by Lowe's company. It's released by uh, Lowe's wife's company, Goodyear Films, 
instead. I'm not exactly sure why that is. I, I mean, we already have heard that Loe Wei was having some financial issues at this time, which is one of the reasons that he wasn't able to finish some of the movies that had already been started. Uh, it does say here about this movie, Many have dismissed The Fearless Hyena for its obvious rip-off qualities, but Chan does bring his comic persona to new levels. While every comedian has a certain style that he or she adheres to, the ability to compose alternate caricatures is important for the sake of diversity. American actor-comedian Robin Williams is a prime example since he can execute any kind of accented character to perfection on screen, most notably with the genie in Aladdin. Never heard Jackie Chan compared to Robin Williams before. But that plays into something in this movie where we see a number of different Jackie Chan characters on display or personas uh, and to try to kind of mix up some of the fighting um, as well as as the use of different props and things like that. Before we hit our break, actually before we do any of that, Liam, any thoughts on any of that information about uh, Jackie still battling with Lo Wei uh, and also the maybe about the increased quality of some of the films we've been watching lately? I mean, I definitely think there's a lot more of the kind of um, performance that we've come to appreciate from Jackie Chan in this movie. Uh, it's it's still not, I think, for those folks whom really identify with Jackie Chan and let's say like uh, the Rumble in the Bronx or even like, uh, uh, what was that, First Strike or what's the movie sure. where he fall? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's still not there, you know, because the, a lot of those performances – more seamlessly, in my opinion, combine very impressive martial arts with uh, a slightly higher level of comedy. You know, uh, uh, anyways, we'll get into it when we discuss the film. Sure. Uh, But I think overall, the performance, especially in my opinion, towards the latter half of the movie, uh, really are starting to make me see the performer he's going to become and appreciate the fact that even before he had nailed his style, he's still very good as a, you know, if he hadn't really developed what was in its in its own way a new way of doing this kind of movie he's still very good as just a traditional martial artist like the fights that are more serious even as he's getting his butt kicked are still very well done you know and 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 a little bit better maybe than some some of the other things that were coming out around the same time so uh now does that mean i'm not uh, shocked to my core that this movie made more money than those other movies. Uh, no, I am utterly amazed that that's true because that's I, you know what that's interesting that you say it. that. I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. interesting to hear you say that because I am going to say something that I suspect is going to make you very surprised and maybe even a little upset when we get into talking about the movie proper. I do oh, want to no. mention before we take our break. That uh, on our previous episode, we mentioned uh, one of the upcoming movies was uh, for Jackie Chan was called Two in Black Belt. This is listed in his filmography as featuring a Jackie Chan cameo. Uh, I, If you look online and you look for this movie, uh, you can find a copy. There's one on YouTube. But almost all the references to it in written form is all about how supposedly there's a Jackie Chan cameo, but no one can find it. I looked through the film. I couldn't find it. We're not going to cover a movie that may or may not have a Jackie Chan appearance in it, but it is notable because it is listed in his filmography, 1978's Two in Black Belt. Uh, If anyone can confirm his appearance in that, why don't you please let us know? We can always talk about it in the future, but definitely not worth uh, devoting an entire episode to because it would break Liam if we were to continue to do that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it is what it is. Such is life. Liam, let's take a little break. When we come back, we're going to talk about it. We're going to get into it. It's 1979's. The Fearless Hyena. Why don't you coach at our school? My grandfather forbids me to fight. 
don't teach our kung fu. Go and get yourself a proper job. Oh, my God! Oh, man, you're finished. I'm useless. There'll be chances for revenge. This technique will be joy, sorrow, down, up, real, imaginary. A young man whose sickly grandfather has taught him a secret form of kung fu starts to make a living off his unique fighting style only to attract the attention of his grandfather's mortal enemy. It's the Fearless Hyena from 1979, a.k.a. Zhao Quan Guai, uh, a.k.a. Revenge of the Dragon in VHS, VHS releases in the U.S., also known as Super Fighter 3 in West Germany, and The Shadow Man, also in West Germany. A lot of interesting uh, kung fu titles in West Germany. As described in I Am Jackie Chan, Fearless Hyena from 1979. <clears throat> after my loan to Seasonal was over, I returned reluctantly to Lo Wei, who after all still held on to my contract. At least Lo finally decided to make a film that fit my personality this time, and after I demanded more control, even let me direct. In Fearless Hyena, I play a young man who accidentally leads a gang of evil villains to my grandfather, the last of the Shin Yi fighters, and he is killed in the resulting battle. In order to deal with my guilt and get my revenge, I learn emotional kung fu, which is powered by the body's reaction to positive and negative emotions. Together with the old master who taught me emotional kung fu secrets, I defeat the murderous villains. This was the first movie I ever directed, and audiences loved it. While production values were lower under low way than with seasonal films, I was given the freedom to try out some really unusual things. For example, I made up emotional style kung fu just for the movie. I also included sequences in which I fought under different personas, dressed as a girl and fighting in a feminine style, and disguised as a cross-eyed bum. This is also the last complete movie I did with Lo Wei, although he later took footage I'd done for a sequel and completed Fearless Hyena 2 with a look-alike. Fearless Hyena was even more successful than Drunken Master for a while. It was the second highest grossing film in Hong Kong cinema history. The film was released in Hong Kong on the 17th of February 1979, directed by Jackie Chan, his first full directing credit. He would then go on to direct The Young Master uh, and Dragon Lord previously and would then get released afterwards and co-direct a lot of his 80s classics as well. Written by Jackie Chan as well, his first credited writing gig. We mentioned some writing uh, components uh, previously uh, along with Lo Wei. Uh, and we have, yeah, some familiar faces here once again. Of course, Jackie Chan in the lead as Xing Lung, but also James Tian is back once again as, in this in this time, playing Jackie Chan's grandfather. And Dean Sheck appears in a comedic scene as a coffin seller as well. Liam, I want to just jump into it. This is a fight-filled movie, very much in the same style as Snake in the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I really liked the fighting in it. Um for me personally, the part that I think is um, perhaps his most creative aspect of the movie, which is this whole middle section where he is, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of scamming people, right? He doesn't want to get caught, so he's taking on these different personas and fighting for this, what is clearly a fake ma master guy, right? Yes. Uh, which, by the way, uh, uh, one of the things you asked me about was this, this the ways that this movie may be inspired Dragon Ball, which I didn't really see anything of except for the fake master's outfit does look like one of the characters from from Dragon Ball. Well, I just want to go into that just quickly. Yeah, this is one of the stated influence of Akira Toriyama's uh, Dragon Ball manga initially. I don't have a lot of familiarity with Dragon Ball. It just not it wasn't something that I was on my radar. I mean, I knew about it, but I never watched it when I was a kid. Right. But it's obviously like one of the most 
beloved franchises on the planet, and specifically this film. I mean, I'm sure Drunken Master and Snake and the Eagle Shadow as well, but it's been stated specifically that Fearless Hyena was a big influence. I mean, the the thing for me is I watched a lot of Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. But it was definitely the era where uh, different, uh, you know, Saiyans would show up and they would all just yell at each other because the manga hadn't written what was supposed to happen yet. So it's just a whole episode of people powering up and yelling at each other. And so like, um, I, that's sort of a later era. There's a whole earlier era. And you, if you want to get the full flavor of it, you got to watch it in the Japanese because it's a very horny show with lots of oh. sex jokes mm. inappropriate for kids. But in the U.S., they edit that stuff out or they dub it over so you can't tell. Or Yeah, the old master is like a hornball who's always getting uh, uh, nosebleeds, which is uh, manga code for an erection. So um, he – yeah, it, it's <laughs> – it's super. It's a super horny uh, story, uh, more so in the manga, from what I understand. Though I've never read it. Um, so by the time I got there, it was all just powering up and yelling. So I didn't. Right. I don't have any of that flavor. The only thing I noticed is the fake master who Jackie Chan is basically working for. He's a scammer, basically. Yeah. Uh, he's dressed like one of the other characters, one of the characters from Dragon Ball. That's the only thing I recognize. Other than that, I'm sure there's other connections that I just don't know because I don't know that first era very well. Um, and if people do know, we'd love to hear about it because I, I think that would be interesting because I, I don't know enough to know. Uh, so what I was going to say is that whole section, which I think is very creative, it just got kind of slow for me. Um, interesting. It, I you know I found that the intro the you know the whole setup was fine, um, uh, but that whole part which carries a big chunk of the movie, I just was kind of bored by. It was fine and some of the fights were cool, but I didn't really care, and I really needed, uh, unfortunately, the least interesting part because the movie switches gears when his grandfather is killed and and becomes a traditional martial arts movie, which is like what I've been wanting us to get away from, right? I've been wanting us to go into some other space because a lot of Jackie Chan movies are very specifically not traditional martial arts movies with your traditional uh, training sequences and whatnot. Uh, But I like that part better. I just do. And I, I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe I just found uh, the length of the section annoying. Um, I don't know. But I I found myself more engaged by the stuff that felt less uh, interesting. Although I will say the emotional kung fu is very Jackie Chan. And when he yeah. starts doing it at the end, that's the best. And I will say, with, you know, uh, all martial arts films, uh, maybe not all, but many martial arts films really push – the credulity of of the audience, right? Because right, right, yes. every new finger <laughs> hook and training style means you've now become an invincible monster, right? And so they're already asking a lot of you. Emotional kung fu might be the biggest gap I've been asked to jump <laughs> by a martial arts film. And yet, because Jackie Chan is, in my mind, way more than that section I'm sure he was very proud of where he's playing different characters. I think he sells that shit as a performer. That Mm -hmm. whole section, he fucking owns it. And there's a part of my brain the whole time watching it going, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Nothing about this makes sense. But my actual experience is, yeah, oh man, now he's crying. Now he's (laughs) laughing. Of course he's winning this fight. Why does... I mean, the dude death grips him in the armpits and in the neck multiple times, and he just flexes the neck muscle and he lives, right? It doesn't make any sense, really, but it doesn't matter. He sells it so fucking hard, Doug, that, like, 
I felt that even though this is probably the most, maybe not the intro is the most traditional martial arts part, but maybe the second most sort of in the line of the tradition part of the movie. Sure. Because of the uniqueness of his performance, it, I was fucking sold, man. It really put this movie over the top for me. Uh, whereas the the that middle section, which had some really fun parts, I just wasn't that engaged by, which I think is going to be our difference because I get the feeling that you maybe fucking love this movie. I do love this movie, and I actually think it's a better movie than Snake in the Eagle's Shadow. Get mostly, the fuck out of here. I, I absolutely do, mostly because the issue I had with that movie, which we stated on the episode, was that there's a big chunk of the movie where Jackie Chan doesn't know Kung Fu yet. So there's a lot of him like learning and learning, and then you get the fight scenes afterwards. Here, he's not as good as his grandfather, but he's also he's already supposed to be like a master yeah, kung true. fu yeah, fighter. Yeah. So you get all these fights in the first half of the movie. In fact, this is a fight packed movie. I have a list here of all the fights that take place, and there's something. And, and like- I and I want to say like right early on when he fights the gamblers, that mm-hmm. was great. Yeah, he really has in that section too something else. He's got you know he the the two things I think we're going to talk about later in the movies that are more. Uh, stamped as his movies is that some of his characters fight in a way that's like I don't care about what's happening right now like I'm so good that nothing about this matters exactly and then some of his characters fight in a way where it's like technically I'm winning but multiple times I look like a real idiot because I like hit my hand or something happens or I do a real goofy moment those are really all his characters do hey I'm so good this doesn't mean anything or oh shit I almost broke my finger on that one oh no oh god the refrigerator hit me in the head you know like and both of those things are amazing uh awesome performance things and this one was that at least this first uh it's the second fight but you know the first of his fights Mm -hmm. it's that yo these guys are so stupid they can't even hurt me (laughs) watch me make them look like idiots and it's so good (laughs) that's after uh jackie chan he um uh, fools some gamblers or like uh scam artists who actually end up being the people that get him to work with this new kung fu school where he basically is their ringer and will beat up anyone who comes in while disguised as the person who shovels shit for them. But just going back to my general thoughts, I mean, I've seen Drunken Master so many times at this point, the original Drunken Master, that this was really refreshing because I haven't seen this movie as much. And while I won't say it's as good as Drunken Master, which I still think is the high watermark of this era of Jackie Chan that I've seen, I think it's it's close. I think it's up there. Certainly in terms of the action, it's very close up there. And I think in terms of the plot to a certain extent too, I did not find that middle section dragged very much. Though I have to say, the idea of him working at this place, a person comes in, he fights them and wins. And then another person comes in, he fights them and wins, but he's doing it in different personas. That's a fun idea, but I see what you're saying. It does feel like wheel spinning a little bit, where once the grandfather is killed, you're like, okay, now the plot is kicking in and there's forward momentum going forward. I mean, like, like clarify for me here. He does the woman, the one part, right? Yes. Like he dresses as a woman, which is it has its own various problematic moments, but they just leave <laughs> that behind. So, right. The rest of the time, he's doing the same mustachioed beggar character, right? Yes. That it's too many times. It's too. It's too much of that character. I, I, you know what I mean? Like, if we're gonna keep going with the sequence, let's do four different characters. Let's do five different characters. You know what I mean? Like, I just. It's just for me. It's the fights to get a are old. all different, though, right? Because that is first true. Fight, that is true. My, like my favorite of those fights is when he uh, fights the leader of the competing school. Really, the first fight that he does in the. Um, in in the disguise uh, of the person who shovels the shit, where he uses the 
the benches a lot. And I think that was a really kind of important fight in the, the development of Jackie Chan as a fight choreographer, using this piece of equipment in lots of interesting and unique and creative ways. And that kind of looks forward to a lot of what he gets best known for in the 80s and 90s work. Uh, and, you know, it, it's not as elaborate as he would get, and it's just a stool. It's not that interesting. But, I mean, I think it's a really good fight. Then his other fight is against someone with a sword, the willow sword or willow leaf, and he uses a pole in that fight, so it's a pole versus sword. So it, it's never, ever exactly the same, but I see what you're saying, simply because that section goes on for so long. Um, but, uh, but I mean, I still like it. I still find it very unique and fun. And, and also, if those fights were shown in isolation, they're all really good fights, right? I mean, the, the action choreography in this is really terrific. And uh, I like the fact that once things get serious in this movie, they get serious. For the rest of the movie, and even though it stretches your ability to, uh, to to kind of accept this emotional kung fu in the last you know section of the movie, you're right. He sells it so well that it's just like okay, yeah, absolutely. He's going from you know he basically has already gotten his ass kicked, and he's going to go from these intense emotions from one to another and basically be invincible right up until it gets to the rage aspect, and he just destroys <laughs> the baddies. And and in one of the best final kill shot, like. The the I'm gonna break your back and then destroy your groin. Yes. It's so good. And in a movie that has not been, you know, sometimes martial arts movies are a little bit cruel. That's part of the point. You know, sure. like someone's gonna get their eye ripped out or some shit. And this movie has not had almost anything like that. And then it ends with our hero just going over the top. And I was yeah. like, Yeah, that's right. I like that. Yeah, and also his response to his grandfather getting killed is so intense as yeah. well. Agreed, agreed. Right? It's very much as like this wake up call. Like in, in in Drunken Master, he never really deviates too far. Even though he's more intense in that final scene, he still is like a little goofy, and he plays a lot of that comedy into it. And even though there's a lot of silliness in the switch of emotions, the idea is that his character is still really serious. So I really like how that kind of of, of progresses, even if it takes a long time to get there. Uh, what did you think of how closely this movie aligned with the structure of Snake and the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master? Did it feel like it was just kind of hitting, hitting the same beats as those movies? Because you even have like a beggar character who who shows up right as his grandfather kill, is killed. A beggar character who obviously is supposed to be, you know, the equivalent of the Sam Seed character that we saw in Drunken Master. I mean, maybe this is my bias, but is that that different than a bunch of other movies in the genre that are following the same? In in other words, all three of these movies are not trying to uh, completely change the formula, but they are allowing Jackie in different extents to try new things. And that is, for me, one of the things I love. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say here, too, is not that I don't like this movie. I just like those other ones a little bit more. Sure, but but I think the the what he does here is worth uh, hailing. In that, I think you're right. It is similar to the other movies, but this middle section that I think could have used an editor, uh, it still represents him innovating within the style. So this is not that unfamiliar, right? This idea of we're going to have people come to the school and they're going to get beat up. Like that is still part of the tradition. No one's going to watch this and go, I've never seen anything like this in a, in a martial arts <laughs> movie before. It's very familiar. But it allows him to do some very fun shit. And and again, his main innovation that we've talked about before, and, 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 and you know, maybe he's not the only one. There are probably kung fu historians that could correct us on that. But it feels like his main innovation is... Um, the fighting and the funny can be very connected in a way that still makes the fighting exciting. 
Right. Like in a lot of other martial arts movies, fighting, then comedic relief. Fighting, then comedic relief. And if you're going to have someone who's comedic relief, they're not going to be a good fighter. That's just not what's going to happen. And he, um, not only is he fighting and comedic relief at the same time, the comedic relief is part of why he's winning the fight. And right. that almost, at least I haven't seen a lot of examples of that happening. I feel like that's part of his innovation. And then the other innovation being he's an incredible performer, and uh, and we've already sort of hit on that. But um, So that whole section, I really love that aspect of it. But yeah, I mean... Th- <laughs> At this point, Doug, the idea that like I wouldn't like a martial arts movie because it feels repetitive, I wouldn't like the <laughs> genre then, buddy. Like certainly I mean, this era of the genre, yeah. Oh absolutely. yeah, I mean, and don't get me wrong, like the standouts, like something like the Black Tavern or um, Dreadnought, sure, movies that have some of the same elements but combine them in a way that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, they stand out because they do that. But if you pay attention, they still have a lot of the same elements, right? Yeah, yeah. All they're doing is recombining. But, you know, I listen to hardcore punk. It's the same three chords since 1979. (laughs) You know, like, that's great, man. Play the chords. Just do it a little differently than the last record I heard. That's all I want to hear, you know? You know, if you were being cynical, you could kind of see this movie as like an audition piece for Golden Harvest, right? It's like Jackie Chan saying, because he's featured so heavily in it. He's like, I can write. I can direct. I can do the action choreography. I can star in it and I can carry the movie here's everything I can do I mean it feels like a piece to show I am Jackie Chan I am more than even what you have seen so far I can do so many things and you can see how that would appeal to a company that had more money and more resources that was my cynical thought about the grandfather death scene because he had not done anything significantly dramatic up until that point and then his grandfather dies and suddenly it's a soap opera and it you know not that i didn't think that was well done but there was a small part of me that was like i see you jackie you're trying to show like hey guys guess what i can do this too like I, I, you know which not that he His hadn't Oscar done clip. that well it's not that he hadn't done anything serious up to that point it's just he had been for a while doing things that were a little more funny sure. and he wanted to do something that was serious but it's it's i guess what i mean is it's serious in a way that is more vulnerable like a lot mm-hmm. of kung fu mm-hmm. movies all the strong emotion is left for rage yeah. and not yeah. For I'm sad about my grandfather, you know? So this movie, uh, like a lot of the Jackie Chan movies and Kung Fu movies generally of this period, has a lot of training sequences, Liam. Uh, And it's one of the things that this movie is also very well known for. Did you have a favorite training sequence? I mean, the one that doesn't make any sense to me, right, (laughs) is the one where he is doing the, like, hanging sit-ups and then slamming his back against the thing. Why does he have to slam his back? It doesn't make any sense, but, like, uh, the but the first part of it does make sense. Like, you know, doing hanging sit-ups is, is a, you know, huge core workout. But then the fact that he also has to slam his back i don't i didn't understand that uh but i liked it and then also like when he was pulling the heavy things and really uh, not because that's that creative but it was he's looking really ripped there he's super ripped in this movie so fucking ripped and don't be wrong is is there a part of me that's like um you know I, i i watch things like this and i think i wonder what at that time, if someone had introduced like P90X, how that would have changed his, you know what I mean? Because he's, he's ripped, but it's not a lot of bulk, you know? Sure. And, and, and he's very and, sinewy. Well, and I think the feeling for a long time was like if you bulk up, then you can't do the sort of acrobatics that yeah, he yeah, does. Yeah. And now in 2022, we're like, no, you can actually. <laughs> like, that's what's crazy is you could be totally bulked and with the right kind of movement training, you can do all the shit he does in this movie. So, like, that would have been interesting to see. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I, I, I like that stuff a lot. And I, I really appreciate the idea of it that, like, 
we do a really intense training sequence. Like there's a lot of him training and a lot of it's very fun too. Like when he's fighting his, uh, well, it's not his grandfather, right? It's the other guy. He's fighting the unicorn and, the and unicorn they're standing guy, yeah. on the pots and stuff. Like I liked yeah, a yeah. lot of that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, but then he does all this stuff, and then he has a fight with the main bad guy, and he gets his fucking ass kicked. And I love that, because it's like, <laughs> oh, you thought just because because every one of these movies, you think that training sequence would have been, must have been a fucking year long for now you to be able to take on this guy, right? <laughs> but this is one of the movies where you see him do all this amazing training, and then it's like, that no, didn't help at all. He's still getting his ass kicked. And you know, part of that was, again, the, the question of the emotions of it all. But it was also the idea that like, just because you train for six months doesn't mean you're suddenly magical, man. Like you need more time to get better to fight this guy and you need an edge of some kind. And so I, I, I really appreciated that aspect of the training, you know? Um, and you know, I just, the, the ways that he, that the unicorn though being himself injured is uses his cane to fuck up yeah. Jackie Chan. Yeah. It's always funny for me. Just a co- constant source of humor. The the whole sequence where he's getting him to like tense his uh, stomach muscles, his yeah. core basically, and then hitting him with the cane. That was really fucking funny too. It, it was. I thought it was all very well done. You know, it's funny after his grandfather dies in this. There are a bunch of training sequences with this unicorn character, a, a character who is, you know, he has a cane and things like that. Uh, he, he never has to – he's never hesitant anymore. You know how in all the training sequences we've seen, it's always him trying to like to avoid it or he's in a lot of pain. Or even in this movie, his grandfather was beating the hell out of him. In this one, he's so focused at that point that he doesn't hesitate. He's continuously training. And I think that's interesting because it's not something we've seen with one of his characters so far. I have to say that the thing that I most remembered about this movie, because I had seen it previously on, a, on an old ratty VHS tape, was the chopstick fight. That occurs between him and his grandfather in it, which I thought was incredibly unique at the time that I saw it. It's still, I think, is a lot of fun. But uh, it's that and that scene with the bowls where he's having to balance on them. I think it's again very, very clever, very unique way of showing you know footwork and uh, and honestly using the mental aspect as well. I love the training sequences in this, though I have to agree with you that the pull-up one where he's slamming his back against it, it's almost like he's trying to discipline himself at the same time that he's training. Very bizarre. If there was a scene where I, – I, mean, I guess it does come into play, right? Because we get the scene where the evil guy grabs his fucking shoulder blades. Yeah. And I was like, I don't even know what's happening there, but it looks unpleasant. Like I don't, I don't understand the actual physiology of that move, but it certainly doesn't look nice. And he just shrugs it off. I guess maybe that was, we're supposed to make that connection, but there's such a, it's so not featured after the guy has done all this other stuff that like, it didn't really, it didn't really land. I think it's always better when these training sequences, you see them play in directly into the fights later on that's for sure as opposed to just general toughening up um yeah i mean it's good that we see him practice with the pole before having that pole fight but even that you know once he has that fight we don't see him use that weapon again for the rest of the movie though that does lead into my next question liam which is lots of fights in this movie which was your favorite uh, okay, it's I'm cheating by saying the last fight, so I'm just gonna say that that in my mind, no fight is better than this last fight where he really, and, and not just because of the martial arts choreography, but again because of Jackie Chan's performance. But I want to put that aside because I think the performance is what's selling it so hard. When mm-hmm. it comes to just pure fighting, I really gotta say, um, I agree with you. I really think that chopstick fight was really fun. You know, like there's something about it that I thought was really interesting. But um, the when when he's trying to fight the bad guys and he's not ready yet and he gets really beat up. Right, right, right. I just thought that was really well done because um, 
you see how much better he is. It's not that he's not good, right? He's very good. He's just not good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hard to communicate. A lot of times, what I've noticed with fight scenes is that um, if you're not paying very close attention, it just looks like a bunch of arms and you don't really notice what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that was very well telegraphed that like he is standing up to this guy. He just can't. He can't do it enough, and I think that is it's hard to communicate both strength and vulnerability. I'm very strong, but that's not going to help me here, you know, because this guy's a fucking master. It also I, plays directly into the ending, right? The part of the reason right. he can't get get a leg in is because he can't control his emotions. That he's right. he's 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 a victim of his own emotions because he's just flailing, right? And that that's what right. the training ends up being about is like you need to be able to you know control them to the extent where you can focus your chi. And can sequence your emotions and control them. Yeah, and I think that um, that's not, in my mind at least, not an easy thing to communicate. Like, I don't think that's easy to like show an audience. And I felt very much like, okay, this all makes sense. Again, not to say that the whole idea of emotional kung fu makes sense, but it, what they're trying to convey <laughs> makes sense. Now, I really like that last fight as well. It goes on for like ten minutes. It's a very lengthy fight, and it yeah. tells a story, and I really like that. I also like, you know, like you were saying already, Jackie Chan's performance in that final scene is is probably, you know, the highlight of, of maybe what we've seen from him generally so far. But I have to say my favorite fight in the movie was one that was disconnected from a lot of that and a lot of the plot. It could actually be one of the fights that could be most easily removed from the movie without uh, affecting it too much. And that is against the three Guandao guards. Basically, the bad guy, Jen Tianhua, in this he has these three guys. Oh, the guys have... with the no. I, I oh, sorry, Doug. I forgot to say that that also was one of my favorites as well. That that is an amazing sequence, especially before he gets the poles and he's just yeah. avoiding them. Mm-hmm. It you are. It's a wide shot of him doing actually amazing things. Like he could have gotten hit with one of those poles at any time, even though you know those aren't sharp. It's still an amazing thing. It, so we've seen a, a very similar fight to this before. I think it might have been in Snake in the Eagle's Shadow. And right. it, it actually, I, if I remember correctly, it even has some of the same performers involved in this. Uh, so the Guando, for the, I had to look this up because I'm a big fan of the movie Legendary Weapons of China. And uh, I had to look up which of the weapons it was. It is like a long pole, which has like a saber at the end of one side and almost like a spear on the end of the other. So you have these three guards who all have the same weapon, and they're all attacking Jackie at the same time. And it's very much a, you have to play it so he's there, that it looks like they're trying to attack him, and he is avoiding it in these unbelievably acrobatic ways. And I just think it's such a clever scene. Also, the fact that there's real stakes involved. They are trying to kill him, and at the end, he will kill all of them. And you know, he has not killed anyone up to that point in the movie. So it, I think it's it's a really, really well done scene. And one of the things in Clyde Gentry's book that he mentions is that one of the pitfalls of kung fu movies at this time period is that it can feel very um, rhythmic in the sense that it's like one, two, three, move, move, counter move, counter move. And in this particular scene, it feels like the rhythm is all over the place, and it makes it feel a little bit more dangerous and a little more real. They also do that thing where you know they cut some of his hair off just to show that it's quote unquote sharp when they're when they're poking him at it. I just think it's very well done, and it just shows you know it shows off a lot of what he can do before he gets into the real performative aspect in the, at the end. A really great fight. It was it, well, and not only is it. Um essentially entertaining right like the rhythms and everything but like 
incredible performances from all four people in the scene. Like yeah. like sometimes in some of these uh, movies, you know everyone is an amazing performer, but really it's Jackie Chan, right? Like you, it's Jackie Chan and a bunch of nameless thugs, and one guy's job is just to get hit in the face with a trash can, and that's it. He's just the guy who got hit with the trash can. <laughs> yeah. And in this scene, it's not just Jackie Chan, though Jackie Chan is doing some actually physically amazing things, regardless mm-hmm. of what you're thinking. Oh, it's in slow-mo. Oh, they sped it up. Whatever fucking thing you want to say about this, it's unbelievable. You couldn't do one minute of it if you tried. The other three guys are also doing amazing things, and yeah. they have to be as in tune as he is, and they're long shots. I mean, there are edits. Like, it's not one shot. Sure, of course, of course. But it's fucking long takes, wide shots. I mean, the, the other way we've gone with kung fu movies now is... Let's make all the tight shot. Let's uh, t- make all the shots tight so yeah. that we can't tell that we're faking all this. And this is you can't fake a lot of this. I mean, you fake obviously. It's not really sharp when they cut his hair off, but all the rest of it, it's not fake. These are people doing an actual performance that you could have watched in real time and thought, "Holy shit, that was crazy!" Right? Yeah. And and I that aspect seems to be missing, not just in kung fu, right? It's missing in movies. <laughs> In movies, and I get it. Like, um, I'm not saying we all need to be making Ozploitation films where someone definitely died and we covered it up. You know, <laughs> that's that's not that's not what we're saying uh, or what I'm saying per se. But I do think like there's often a sense that the film can't have anything actually amazing because that would cost too much money and be too insurance risky. So we're just gonna. Do everything. And, like, my thing is not to be anti-CGI. Like, I would prefer sometimes CGI on certain aspects of special effects. But the fact that, like, we don't actually do anything in the real world anymore, I think you notice it sometimes. It's really missing. And the few movies where they're like, no, we actually had these guys jump around in one shot for – it's not even that long. Like, a minute – or a two-minute take of people actually moving in real time in one shot is pretty fucking impressive now because no one does that. And this movie has it in spades, which isn't to set it apart from – there are other martial arts movies that do that, but this particular performance I thought really sets it apart from a lot of other ones. Especially because they're moving those poles around and sometimes they're flicking them to person to person. So you could, it, it really takes advantage of the medium in the sense that, okay, we'll do this a bunch of times until we get it right. And that'll be the part that we use. But it's in the middle of a long sequence. So that must be exhausting to go through the whole process. And then, I mean, that's, and that is something that we will see in those closing credit montages of people trying things until they get it right. And in the process, getting injured because it's so physically difficult well and that's that's not that that connects it to classic hollywood right like yeah all those huge dance sequences yeah they were done a million times to make sure that they were right but they were done once right at least one take was real where they did it and they caught it all on film and sure they probably had to edit in a few sequences stuff like yeah there's always some amount of trickery but if you got a hundred people dancing in time then that's amazing. It doesn't matter that it took you a few tries. Same with this. I don't know how many times they did do that fucking bullshit, but they got it, and I can't believe they got it, right? Because I couldn't get <laughs> one sec. I couldn't move the way Jackie Chan moves in that scene for even a moment. Got a quick question for you here, Liam, which yeah, is, bro. so this is, I think, by far the best film that Jackie Chan has made under a low way. And it shows that he could make a movie in the same vein and of the same quality and of the same success as Snake and the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master. If he had stayed with Lo Wei and Lo Wei had given him the same freedom, 
Could he have found the same level of success under Loway that he ended up finding with Golden Harvest and elsewhere? This is one of those, I, there's a term for this, but when you ask a hypothetical that the context of the hypothetical actually makes the hypothetical impossible. Yeah. If Loway wasn't such a fucking dickhead, yeah. I mean, that's really what you're saying, right? Because, you know, the, again, we our perspective on Loway is so... Uh, influenced by Jackie's that's true. dislike no, that's of right. him, right? Let me let me put it a different way. With the way their relationship seems to have functioned, the question doesn't make any sense because uh, it assumes that Lo Wei and Jackie Chan could ever see eye to eye enough for Lo Wei to let Jackie do whatever he wanted and not try to take control. And that right. never happened. So, like, yeah, I think... I think given the resources and the platform, Jackie Chan was always going to be famous, period. It doesn't matter who sure. he was making movies for in my mind. But the question is, could Lo Wei as a producer give him the latitude he needed? Well, I guess he could because this movie exists. But could he do it consistently? I don't know. And then we'll go the other direction. Let's not assume it's all Lo Wei. Could sure. Jackie Chan work with Lo Wei in such a way that he could get what he wanted from him? Or Especially was with his growing fame, right? Yeah, I mean, or was he yeah. so fucking burned out on this guy? Like, maybe Lo Wei taking control was just how Lo Wei did things, and maybe he's not a bad person for that. Maybe that's just how he does stuff. Well, then they can't work together. You know what I mean? Like, if if you're in a band with a with a with one guy who's like, we're a band, but I write all the songs, then, like, and you want to write some songs, then you need a different fucking band. You know what I mean? Like it's just not the right fit. So yeah, I think, I think that anyone who is willing to give Jackie Chan resources and a platform and creative leeway, though I will say we all assume total creative leeway. I don't know how much editing went in. It's one of those things where it's like, because a director makes a bunch of great movies, we assume that that's them. But a, a director is never works alone. So sure. it could have been their editor. It could have been their cinematographer. It could have been a producer who said, that's a bad idea. Let's not do that one. You know, like it's all a team effort. But that being said, it just seems like outside of this movie, a lot of the times when Jackie Chan is working with Lo Wei, whatever the chemistry is, it's off. It's not working. And so, like, I don't know that they could have ever worked together in such a way that this phenomena happened again because this really feels like a bit of an anomaly for their work together. It does. But then again, this is the first movie that he made after Jackie Chan showed that he could be a success elsewhere. It's true. Maybe, it's true. maybe it was just that eureka moment and that it was possible. I think that the limitation would have been that Jackie Chan is too ambitious to just keep making these kind of movies, that he wanted to make bigger movies. And heading into the 1980s, when the expectations for martial arts movies would be higher production, it would just be hard for Lo Wei to keep up by just having one successful star. Well, and it's hard to know, too, because so many things happen after this, right? Like, then he goes to America, right? Like, yep. it's it's hard to know um, what that period – because by the time he starts he, – he goes back and starts making his own movies, had the market changed? You know what I mean? Like, were there yeah. other forces at play that had nothing to do with Lo Wei and Jackie Chan? It's just that Jackie Chan finally got to make his own movies at a time when people were ready for something a little bit different. It's also that he had imitators already at this point making movies at Golden Harvest for right. higher yes. budgets. Yes. So maybe one of them would have taken his place, right? Maybe even one of his, you know, martial arts brothers like a Sammo Hung. I mean, they, they found great success in themselves, but maybe they would be the mainstream success that he became. Um, so let's finish off our discussion here. We've already talked about it a little bit. This might be Jackie Chan's most impressive performance 
uh, both physically in his martial arts, but also just as an actor. What do you think of him as Xing Long in this film? I mean, I think it's really great. I think that, um, as I said, I, maybe what it boils down to is that not all the comedy in what is basically a comedy section works for me. Sure. Um, and I think later on we'll see a slightly sharper comedic uh, 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 sensibility from him. But that doesn't matter. Like, the performances are really strong. And while he doesn't have the budget to do some of the crazy stuff he'll do later, when it comes to the actual, at least physical performance, he's almost at the level he will be, right? Like, there is just some amazing stuff he pulls off in this movie. When it comes to his, like, acting performance, I mean, it's hard because, you know, I'm I'm watching a dub and um and and the uh I, I I mean I had the the subtitles on so I could see the places where the dub and the original weren't matching up, you know what I mean? Sure. But in the end, um even watching it with just subtitles, I'm gonna hear the emotion in his voice, but I don't really know it, there's a limitation to what you're getting as far as the the script and stuff like that. Uh that being said, I, I do think it's a up to this point a really strong performance. Um, if, if there's anything for me where this movie doesn't stack up to some of the other ones I think are really good from this period, it's really just a, a plot direction thing that I just think it's a little squishy in the middle. He, as a performer, I think is really getting up to the level that, that we kind of know him for. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I also would say... I, we, I should mention as well that we watched the 88 films version of this movie, and it right. looks amazing. I mean, it really does look terrific. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I compare it to the version that I saw initially, a full screen, really shaky looking uh, VHS of this, and it's it really is like night and day. Uh, and I know that that collection, this is something that's happened since our most recent episode as well, is that a lot of those 88 film uh versions of these Jackie Chan movies are now being released in the U.S. in one collection called the Jackie Chan Collection, which includes The Killer Killer Meteors, Shaolin Wooden Men, To Kill With Intrigue, Snake and Crane Arts of Shaolin, Dragon Fist, Battle Creek Brawl, and Dragon Lord. Three of those we haven't covered yet on this show, but we have covered the rest. They are of mixed quality, but if you're going to watch them, certainly these are the versions that you're going to want to watch them as. Uh, yeah, I think this might be closest to... It's not closest to classic Jackie Chan because we've seen we've seen that in uh, Drunken Master in particular, and that I think is the version of Jackie Chan of this era that most people connect with. But in terms of just showing his range and what he's able to do, both physically and emotionally, even if it's not his voice, I mean, you could it, the emotion really does come through, and I think he really does give a really impressive performance here. We've already mentioned Fearless Hyena two a little bit. We will actually cover it on this show because it is a full film. But as we mentioned already, and as Jackie Chan did in his uh, description there, what happened was. After the success of this movie, Jackie Chan started to film a sequel to it, but in the midst of making it, that is when he would break the contract with Lo Wei and go to Golden Harvest instead, and there's a lot mixed up in that, including Jimmy Wang Yu helping him get out of uh, trouble with triads and things like that, uh, and then what happens is that Lo Wei got doubles to complete the movie, so it is a sort of Jackie Chan sequel to this movie, which I have never seen but is something that we'll take a look at in the future once we reach that point. As I already mentioned, Liam, on the next episode is another movie I haven't seen, but one that I hear very good things about, 1979's Dragon Fist. As we mentioned already, it was filmed before Snake and the Eagle's Shadow, so it was before Jackie had a lot more control over these projects. I don't know really what to expect out of it, but I'm looking forward to seeing it before we then move into really, uh, we'll be rushing headlong into the the era of transition for Jackie Chan into mainstream celebrity in Hong Kong and then an attempt to become a mainstream celebrity in the United States. Uh, any thoughts on Dragon Fist? 
I just hope it doesn't suck. <laughs> if it does, uh, it might not be the last movie that sucks for a while. We should find some solace in the idea that our low-way days are rapidly coming to a close. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. And, and, and we're going to be seeing Jackie Chan in a whole new light and in a whole new form and in a whole new era. I mean, uh, Battle Street Brawl, or that was Battle Creek Brawl, I should say, also known as The Big Brawl. That's a movie I've seen bits and pieces of before. I may have seen the whole thing now that I think about it, but it certainly is a very, very different kind of movie. And at this point, I'm ready for that. Something a little bit different. Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of We Do Our Own Stunts or other Cinema Smorgasbord podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, of course, they can head over to our uh, uh, parent network, Cinepunks.com, uh-huh. home to a whole family of podcasts covering all kinds of topics. We've got uh, Marvel, Heart. Well, you know what? It, it, Tomb of Ideas actually just recently shifted. They were covering only classic Marvel horror comics. They've expanded to cover now any Marvel comics that deal with horror topics. So they did oh, a... Cool issue of the X-Men where they fought vampires and I thought that was very cool and they've also been having more guests come on uh, comic creators uh, people in the media who cover comics so I I just think they're doing some great work over there Tomb of Ideas of course uh, Twitch of the Death Nerve does uh, cult and psychotronic cinema and uh, Cinepunks our flagship podcast is just uh, me and a friend of the show Josh Alvarez uh, you know uh, admitting how little we know about cinema so it's really great Um, all that (laughs) is at Cinepunk, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X dot com. Uh, And you can follow Cinepunks on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Eventually we'll be on some other media or social media (laughs) platform, I'm sure. Uh, And we also have a Discord. If you're interested in joining us on the Discord where we share all kinds of stuff and have discussions and, you know, it's, it's, you know, we all have jobs, so it's maybe not as quite as popping as a Discord full of college students, but it's still pretty good. So, (laughs) you know, hit us up. We'll, we'll, we'll shoot you the link for it. And of course, if they want to get in the archive of our episodes, not just we do our own stunts, but the whole family of cinema smorgasbord uh, topics, because me and Doug can't settle on one topic to discuss. Uh, you can head to cinemasmorgasbord.com. Uh, and, and, you know, we've got our Jodorowsky show. We've got our Steve Buscemi show. We've got our show where we explore genre film festivals throughout time. We've got a show dedicated to uh, George Kennedy. And uh, it's just an, uh, uh, an unbelievable array of topics because me and Doug refuse to be boxed in. We refuse. <laughs> Cinema Smorgasbord comes out every Monday. Uh, you can always check it out. If you like it, why don't you leave us a review in your podcast provider of choice. If you want to follow Liam on social media, he's on Twitter currently, at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. And I'm on there as well, at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. But for now, we need to close up that Jackie Chan bag for another week. We're going to be back again with another Jackie Chan classic very soon. Good night, everyone. Night-night. Ooh. Mm-hmm.